Joshua 11, and we'll be at Joshua 11 through 13, 7 this evening, recounting the victory. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, what a glorious God you are. And even as we come to Joshua this evening, and we see your power, we are reminded of what a powerful, almighty God you are. And yet in your power, you are full of mercy, you are full of grace, and you are faithful to us. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. Praise you even as we've witnessed this evening in baptism, a beautiful picture of the gospel as Lily has identified herself with Christ. And we've seen the picture of what you do to those who believe. Dead to sin and alive in Christ. Father, we glory this evening. Each one of us who are in Christ, we glory in what you have done for us. We pray that you'd be honored this evening in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening we have a rather long passage, as you can see, to get through. In Joshua 11 through 13, 7. So I'm just going to start by reading it. And I'm going to confess right now that I've printed the passage off and I'm going to read it from here. I've got my Bible right here. But there's some interesting names of places in here. And so on here, I have phonetically spelled it so that I can say it right. So that's why this is going on. <laughs> Joshua 11 to 13, 7. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Aksaph, and to the kings who were from the north in the mountains, in the plains south of Kinneroth, in the lowland and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel, shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook Misrephoth, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings, Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. 
he utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them, except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord has commanded Moses his servant, so, Mo so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus, Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. Then Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated, and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon, and all the eastern Jordan plains. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead. From Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of the river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the, bo which is the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain. From the sea of Kinneroth, as far as the sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth Jesimoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salica, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. These are the kings of the country which, which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west, from Baal Gad and the valley of Lebanon as far as Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their division. In the mountain country and the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho won. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, won. The king of Jerusalem won. 
the king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Deba, one. The king of Gedah, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adalam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasheron, one. The king of Maiden, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron Miron, one. The king of Aksaf, one. The king of Teanek, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jochnium and Carmel, one. The king of Dor and the heights of Dor, one. The king of the people of Gilgal, one. The king of Tirzah, one. All the kings, 31. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites. And from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gezites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites. Also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gabalites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Misrephoth, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divided by the lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now you may wonder, as I was reading that, what's the point? Why are we reading all these difficult names that really mean nothing to us? And the answer is because they're in the word of God. Because the Bible tells us that everything in here is in here for a purpose. These names were just thrown in here accidentally. God is communicating something in this passage. In fact, starting next week, we'll, we'll look at an even bigger passage. The plan next week is to look at Joshua 13 through Joshua 21. Because in that passage then... At the end of this passage, you may notice, they, they talk about the inheritance that God has given them. And in that passage, they go through and they look at the inheritance of each tribe, what God has given them. And to you and I, as we read it, as you go through your Bible reading in the year and you get to that passage, and you might think, i got to get through this. But it's there for a purpose. It means something. God did not just throw it in there. And what it does is it reminds us of the faithfulness of a God who keeps his word. He made a promise to these people, and we will see next week, and we will see this week, that God keeps the promises that he makes. And that means something to us.
because God has made us promises. This week, as we look at Joshua 11 through 17, 13, 7, we'll see three points, conquest, rest, and inheritance. Last week, we saw victory in the south. The book of Joshua starts with a couple of big cities that they take. And then in our passage last week, we saw them then conquer the rest of the south. And now, in Joshua 11, they conquer the north, taking then all the land. And notice how it starts here in verse 11 under conquest. It came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things. He'd heard testimony already of what had happened to Jericho and Ai. He'd heard about them crossing the Jericho and and, and the miracles that God had done and the might of this army. And yet he'd also heard that before they conquered Ai, they suffered a defeat. There's a weakness. There's a soft spot in this nation. We can get them. We have a chance. He had watched, as we saw last week, as the kings of the north come together in this strong army and they are just wiped out. And so what does he do? Seeing that, he puts together a bigger army. Of course, it says you get down to verse 4. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, all these kings that have come together in the north, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. This is a massive army. Most likely beyond anything that the children of Israel have seen yet. Not only is it massive in size, but it's powerful in the technology and the weapons that it has. Look at the next phrase, with very many horses and chariots. This is the most advanced weapon technology for this day. Not only is this a massive army, not only is it strong in just size alone, But it's a well-armed army. This is an army that has horses and chariots. I think there's a reason, likely, why God waits till this point in the story to bring this army, this point in history, to bring this army against his people. Because as this massive army comes, what have they already seen? They've seen God part seas. They've seen God knock down walls. They've seen God destroy armies by hurling stones from heaven. And as they look across at this massive army and these these horses and these chariots, they know they have nothing to fear. For they don't trust in horses and chariots. They trust in the Lord. That's what we see in verse 6. The Lord then comes to Joshua. He says, do not be afraid because of them. It's interesting here in verse 6, also leading up to battle, we have less time, less encouragement. God comes and says, don't be afraid. And that's all he has to say, because Joshua's likely less afraid now than he was before Jericho. He's seen God do these things. He has something to look back on, something to stand on. So when God says, don't be afraid, he doesn't need to say it twice. Joshua knows when God says, don't be afraid, I don't have to fear. For he's a powerful God. There's an implication in that, phrase, in that phrase, don't be afraid. And the implication is this, don't be afraid because I am with you. Don't fear them, trust me. So that's what they do, they trust. 
for tomorrow about this time, notice who will give the victory. I will. It is God who will give them the victory. Tomorrow at this time, I will deliver them. Slain before Israel shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. To hamstring their horses is to crimple them. To make them useless and to burn their chariots. This army, by this time tomorrow, will be utterly defeated. Those chariots that look powerful, they'll be burned. They'll be a pile of ash. Those horses that look, pa- that look powerful, they'll be crippled. They'll be useless. Now, from a military standpoint, it seems foolish to hamstring the horses and to burn the chariots of an army that you've just defeated. Why not take these things and use them for yourself? Why wouldn't God give this to them as he gives them the rest of the loot? Here, strengthen your army. I think the answer is clear. Because they don't need horses and they don't need chariots because they have God. What would horses and chariots do? All it would do is tempt them to trust in those horses and those chariots. They have something greater than any horse or any chariot. They have the Lord their God who is on their side. Who says, trust me. So Joshua and all the people of war come up against them suddenly. Once again, we see Joshua as a good leader. When God gives instruction, he obeys. And the people follow. And they attack him. In verse 8, just one verse. This jumps right to it. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. Just like that. He said, I will deliver them. Next verse, he delivers them. It's finished. It's over. They didn't stand a chance regardless of how big and how powerful and how strong they were. They didn't stand a chance against the God of Israel. They defeated them and they chased them. And Joshua did, verse 9, to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and he burned their chariots with fire. I think it's easy for us to read right over that. And yet that is a show of the extreme faith of Joshua. Do you know how much faith it takes in the middle of a conquest with an eloquent army who's been traveling through the wilderness for 40 years and in front of you is an army that you've just defeated. One of the most powerful armies you've ever faced with horses and with chariots and God said to burn them but now they're in front of you. Now they're yours and you can just take them. Do you know how much faith it takes to then go ahead and to cripple those horses and burn those chariots? Don't read over that phrase and not Pray for faith like that. Give me faith, God, to trust you like Joshua and the children of Israel trusted you. We're so tempted to lean on the things of this world. We're so tempted to put our trust in horses and in chariots when our God says, trust me. So they obey and they burn him. So they go back and they take these cities. All the cities of those kings, verse 12, all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. Now that they've defeated the army, they go back through the area conquering the cities. There's no army to defend them, but you still have to take the city. 
He utterly destroyed them, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounts, Israel burned none of them. These cities that stand on mounds are strategic cities. They're very important cities in the area. The reason that they are on mounds is because over time, people have built cities here. This has been a strong place to, to defend the land. And then as that city has crumbled, a new city has been built on top of it. And that city has crumbled, and a new city has been built on top of it. And over time, these cities have, have turned into mounds. And so they leave these strategic cities. They, they conquer them, but they don't destroy them. In verse 14, all the spoil of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel, took as booty for themselves. God gives it to them. Every time I read that in Joshua, my mind goes back to this thought, if only Achan had waited. Achan couldn't wait. God had plans to give them good things. But he didn't trust them. He didn't trust God. He had to take it himself. So he acts outside of the will of God, and he is punished for it. And God's a good God, and he cares for his people, and he provides for them. You come to the verse 15, you see, as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua's success came as a result of Joshua's obedience. Joshua trusts the Lord, and Joshua obeys the Lord. And God blesses him because he trusts him and obeys him. Joshua's obedience is evidence of Joshua's faith. Joshua wouldn't obey God if he didn't believe God. So he obeys, and God blesses him. We see, and so Joshua took all the land. The verse 18, and Joshua made war a long time with those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. So yes, they had conquered these armies, but now they have to go back and they have to take all these cities. They don't have armies, but they can still lock their gates. They can shut them out, so they have to, to take these. And Joshua made war a long time. This is a long process, approximately seven years. But they do it, and they take it. Verse 20 notes this, it was of, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. No one made peace with Israel. Everyone came against Israel in battle. For what reason? Because of this. For the Lord hardened their hearts. Not only did God go before Israel in battle, but he went before them to these cities, to these people's hearts, to bring them to battle. God fought for them and he went before them. He had their best interest in mind this entire time. So Joshua goes and he takes this. Verse 21. At that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, the Hebron, Deber, from Anab. All the mountains of Judah. 
and all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. And the only reason I bring that up and point that out is because the Anakim is the very reason that 40 years ago they feared to enter the land. These are the very people that as they came into Israel, these ten spies, and they looked and they saw them, they feared. And they went back and they said, there is no way. You haven't seen what we've seen. Here in verse 21, we see there is a way. Because God is stronger than the Anakim. So they take them and they destroy them. And so verses 1 to 22, we see the conquest. In verse 23 to 12, 24, we see rest. Verse 23, so Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses. Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. Joshua 11:23 is a key verse, not just of Joshua 11, of the book of Joshua. This is what God does. When God makes a promise, God keeps that promise. He's a faithful God. In Genesis 12, 7, as Abraham walked in this land, God said, I will give this land to you. And over time, God gave them more and more land, and then he took them to Egypt, and they lost that land. And now they're back, and God has given it to them. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their division by their tribes. And that's what we'll see, Lord willing, next week in chapters 13 to 21. Joshua giving it to them as their inheritance. The conquest is over. God who promised to deliver this land to us, to deliver these armies into our hands, has done it. He is a powerful God. He's a God who is able to keep his word and his promises. And the land rested from war. That, that, that word there, rested, is a key theme also in Joshua. Rest comes from victory. Victory comes from obedience. Obedience comes from faith. They have rest. Because they trusted in the Lord. And because they trusted in the Lord, they obeyed the Lord. And because they obeyed the Lord, the Lord gave them victory. In the coming generations, this rest will be lost as they stray from the Lord. In fact, the Hebrew word for rest does not appear one time in the book of Judges. But the writer of Hebrew picks up on this. He mentions this rest that they get in Joshua, and he looks forward to a greater rest. He looks forward to a greater conqueror who will bring a greater rest to his people. And we long for that rest. We long for the Lord to come, to take us home. What do we see here? They get this rest because they trust in the Lord, because they obey, and he gives them the victory. Chapter 12, 
We see the victory. He goes through in the first six verses Moses' victories. And then in verses 7 to 8, Joshua's victories. But what's key to note is that this is not Moses' victory and Joshua's victory. It's the Lord's victory. All throughout, what have we seen? It is the Lord who has given them the victory. In every city that they've come to, it is the Lord who has given it to them. And we must not ever forget that. We must not give credit where it's not due. It's the Lord who gives the victory. And so God had victory east of the Jordan. And God had victory with his people west of the Jordan. And he gives them the land that he has promised them. As you come to chapter 13, then we have the inheritance. Now, Joshua was old, advanced in years. This, I love this first verse. This is kind of funny. Joshua's old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. It's like, well, rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> I know I'm old. I can feel it. He's approximately 95 years old here. He's been a faithful leader. And God says to him, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. That's an interesting phrase, because in 1123, if you were paying any attention whatsoever, look with me at Joshua 1123. Notice what it says, Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. If Joshua gave it all to them, what does God mean here? There remains much land yet to be possessed. Either they have it, or they don't have it. I think the answer is simply this. The land had been conquered. The cities and the armies were theirs. They were now the inhabiting people of this land. But there was still local resistance to be dealt with. And as Joshua allots the land in the following chapters, it is the responsibility of those to whom each lot falls to subdue their inheritance, to take control of it. God has given it to you. He's driven out the armies. There's still some resistance, but this is yours. Go and take possession of it. And he goes in to some of these groups and tribes that are left. We see in verse 6, them, about halfway through verse 6, them, after listing all these tribes, them I will drive out. As I have defeated the armies and given you the major cities, so I will drive them out as well. But you must take responsibility to go and to take hold of the land. If you're not there, I can't give it to you. So go, and I will drive out the ch from before the children of Israel. Only divide it by lot to Israel's inheritance as I have commanded you. Divide it by faith. Take it. Take possession of it. Verse 7, Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half-tribe of Manasseh. The land is conquered. And now comes the promised inheritance of God. And that's what we'll see, Lord willing, next week as we go through chapters, the end of chapter 13 through chapter 21. 
you will see God fulfilling this promise. The fighting's over. All that's left is to take possession of what God has given them. So the application this morning is simply this. God is faithful. Evening. This is evening. This evening. The application this evening is this. God is faithful. God is mighty. And those two things work together. Because if God were faithful and not mighty, he wouldn't be able to be faithful. It's impossible. He wouldn't be able to fulfill the promises he's made. But he's faithful because he is mighty, because he is able to fulfill the promises that he's made. Not only that, if God were mighty and yet not faithful, we'd be in trouble. God could do whatever he wanted. He could go against his word. He could change his mind. But he does not change. As we saw this morning in Malachi, he is a faithful God. I am the Lord. I do not change. And so we can trust this God. We can trust him because he is faithful. And we can trust him because he is mighty enough to fulfill the promises that he has made. And so the application is simply this. Trust him. As the Israelites did, as they hamstrung those horses and burned those chariots, as they took possession of the land that God had given them, they trusted him. And so trust him. You say, well, what does it look like for me in my day-to-day life to trust the Lord? I think we see a perfect example of it as they take the land. Obey the Lord. You don't obey someone you don't trust. Their faith in God allowed them to obey God. And as they obeyed God because they trusted God, God gave them the land. He fulfilled the promise. I'd encourage you this week, go through the New Testament and look at many of the promises that God has given to us. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will complete what I've begun in you. All things work together for your good. I'm coming again. Look at those promises and find comfort in the fact that God is faithful and he is powerful enough to fulfill the promises that he has made. When God says something, God does that. Be encouraged. I want to close by singing the simple song.